0: Today is Big Church Sunday. Once a month, we have the opportunity to have kiddos with us. And so I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity and ask how many big brothers and sisters do we have in church this morning? You are a big brother, meaning you have a baby in your house or have had a baby in your house. All right. I'm seeing hands. I'm expecting my children who aren't doing it yet. Um, All right. There we go. Now... uh, Those of you who... You can put your hands down. Sorry, I forgot to give that instruction. Those of you who are big brothers and big sisters, do you remember how excited you were the day your baby brother or sister came home? Anybody remember that? Yeah? No? Trent's still working on it. Uh, He's like, I wasn't really all that excited. Uh, Parents, grandparents, do you remember bringing home your first? Do you remember the opportunity... Uh, the excitement that came from that and and seeing how all of that kind of played out. And and maybe there was this joy, there was this excitement, maybe there was anxiety. How am I, I don't know what to do with this. It doesn't come with an instruction manual. Um, They're crying and I've done all the normal things. Why? And then uh, on... Facebook this week, I saw this doctor who had this crazy hold thing that made all babies stop crying, and I thought, where was that 15 (laughs) years ago? Um, I can remember being in the hospital before Melody was born, and uh, I had, and still have it, and I've worn it for every single, the birth of every single one of my children. Uh, Now I just get to wear it because we're not doing that anymore. Uh, This green Old Navy sweatshirt, and I can remember... Being in the hospital, we were inducing, so we kind of knew, you know, there wasn't the rush to the hospital. I never experienced that, uh, and so I'm in my green uh, old navy sweatshirt, and this was pre-smartphones, this was pre-tablets and all that kind of stuff. This was, um, I, I'm the guy who wants to figure out all the instruments in the room, you know, the the one that measures the contractions. I want to, f- I wanted to figure out how to make it make noise and how to make it stop making noise. I didn't do the first one. I wanted to. I wanted to see what happens when I push the buttons. I showed some restraint. uh, Until I got on the doctor's stool that had wheels and spun around. (laughs) And there's video evidence of this with me sitting in the seat, spinning... Crazily going, ready for you to get here. I was so bored. I didn't know what to do. All I wanted to do was hold this baby that as far as I knew was going to change my life, but I had no way of knowing. No way of knowing what was coming to a theater near me. Um, 3.17 in the afternoon, May 20... May, sorry, wrong. Uh, May 27th is a different thing. January 27th, uh, I hold that first little bundle of joy. And I'm done. We might as well just pack up and go home. Uh, my day is complete. She has to stay for a little bit, and you know why. But the excitement that came from that for me was, as a daddy, a moment where I could look back and go, I can remember the, the color of the blanket she was wrapped in. Come to find out later, apparently Memorial Hermann only uses one kind of blanket, <laughs> and they're all exactly the same a white blanket with the blue and pink stripes. Those of you who have delivered at Memorial Hermon or something like it have probably seen the exact same blanket. Maybe they shared it, I don't know. But um, for me, the excitement that came from that was was overwhelming. And so today as we look at Luke chapter 1, we're going to meet a couple of people. We're going to meet a guy named Zachariah. We're going to meet a woman named Elizabeth, and we're going to see... what happens when Zechariah has one of those daddy moments. We're going to see what happens uh, when God shows up in in a really special way. And so as we look at Luke chapter 1, I want us to kind of take in who this guy is. Luke chapter 1, we meet a guy named Zechariah. He and his wife Elizabeth are both Faithfully serving uh, as priests, specifically Zechariah as a priest, and she as his uh, as his wife is kind of around but not in the in the temple. And the way the the priests were set up, they were they got one week of service twice a year. And so he was in a group of people that met this time in in one week service. And when they got there, they had specific things that they had to do. Some things that were um, just mundane things like making sure the the right bread is out, and making sure that all of the utensils are out. But then there was this this special job where you could go into the room outside where the Ark of the Covenant was not the Holy of Holies itself, but the holy place that's just before that, and light incense and kind of keep the place uh, ready um, for anything that was going to happen there in that day that the high priest would come in and do. And so Zechariah gets this privilege, and it's this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be that close to the Ark of the Covenant, that close to God's dwelling presence, but not go all the way in. And so uh, he gets there. While he's there, he meets an angel. Now, what do you think of, children, what do you think of when you think about angels? What do angels have? Wings. Wings uh, maybe uh, robes and that kind of stuff. But I think when... And and maybe that circle on the top of their head. Uh, Right. But when we think of angels, we typically think of angels as um, maybe chubby little babies with wings. I don't think that's the picture, though, of an angel. I think an angel looks kind of scary. Looks like a a big guy that you would see, uh, a warrior. Um, He he looks kind of scary. Why do I think that? Because every time angels show up, their first words are, don't be afraid. (laughs) I'm not thinking a chubby little cherub with with wings and a harp coming up going, peace be with you, is going to be something I'm going to be scared of. But grown men, all throughout the scripture, whenever they encounter angels, the very first words the angels say are, don't be afraid. Because either the angel's bringing death and judgment, or they're just scary individuals, and you look at them and you go, I don't really know what to do with you. And so... Zachariah begins to have this conversation with the angel Gabriel and they're talking back and forth and he starts saying things like uh, you are are going to have a child and he's really excited about that except for the fact that he's old enough to be a grandpa and his wife is old enough to be a grandma and most of the time um, those who are old enough to be grandmas and grandpas aren't having kiddos. If you want more conversation about that, talk to your parents. Um, But what we do see is that Zechariah looks at it and goes, that's interesting. How exactly is that going to happen? Now, his question isn't the same question that Mary asks. Mary asks a very good question. How exactly is that going to happen since that's not been possible yet? And on the other side of that, Zechariah is asking this question, but he's like, this sounds more like an impossibility that someone at my age and someone at my wife's age could have a child. And so the angel says, here's how I'll prove it. You're not gonna be able to talk for the next nine months. Mm -hmm. Kenny, can you imagine not being able to talk for the next nine months? No Mm -hmm. words will come out. All he can do is write. Now, mama's in the room. Maybe this would be a good thing on your side of it. If you're nine months, going through your nine months of pregnancy and there's no input. There's no talking. You can set the thermostat wherever you want. There's no conversation about what color the nursery is because there's no conversation. You get to do all the talking. This may be a great setup for some. We don't know how Elizabeth handles it. Uh, we do know that Zechariah doesn't say anything for the next nine months. Zechariah is living in a very interesting time. He's living in a time where nobody has heard from God. He's living in a time where God has been silent, where no prophetic voice has been there to explain what's going on. Lindsay read Micah uh, just a little bit ago. Micah, Malachi? Malachi. The very next chapter in Malachi, the very last two verses of the Old Testament, begin this description of a prophet who will come, someone who will be like Elijah. And that's the last thing that's said. And then there's 400 years of silence. Now, Israel's history continues on and we have the the books of the Apocrypha that tell us the history. But one of the things that we don't have is a prophet explaining God's perspective on what's going on. Nobody's having dreams. Nobody's having visions. God's voice is completely silent. Anytime we see uh, silence like that, big stuff is about to happen. But this gap is 400 years long. This gap is so long, in fact, that everybody kind of thinks that God maybe isn't going to speak to us. Anymore. The first time in scripture we see a 400 year gap is, is the very end of Genesis where we meet a guy named Joseph we turn the page from Genesis to Exodus and it takes 400 years to get us into Exodus 1. And there's this strong silence of God and everybody thinks that God is, has forsaken them and God is done with them. And after that follows this huge event called the Exodus. And Moses leads the people of Israel into a new identity. After the end of this 400-year gap, we're going to see another big move in history, the biggest move in history, where God himself will be incarnate among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so to have an angelic visitor uh, for Zechariah is kind of a big deal. This isn't, this isn't your convenience store angel show up. It, it just, hey, uh, I'm in the temple today. Gabriel, how's it going? No, angels are rare. This isn't something. I mean, we we see it in art, we see it in pictures, but most of us <coughs> probably haven't seen an angel, or if we have, we didn't know it. He knows it, and so he doesn't speak for the next nine months. And in preparation for what's coming, God begins to to move on the lives of some other people. Yes, yester week, yester week, last week we heard from Ryan, and he talked about. Uh, Mary's encounter and Mary's song in, in the Magnificent, and then we see God moving in her life in such a way that she's had angelic visits, she's had all these things, and she believes it in faith. I think this is beginning to, to see the movement. We're going to get to uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Christmas where shepherds will hear and kings will hear and visitors will hear and and all of these people will begin to look around going God is about to do something absolutely incredible and it's going to blow everybody away and it's going to be um, it's going to be unexpected it's going to be kind of quiet but God's going to begin to move in great and mighty ways and that moves us into the story with Zechariah and the song that he sings at the end of nine months, John the, Baptist is, John the Baptist, what he'll be known as later, is born. And while John is uh, growing, he gets to be eight days old. He hasn't been named yet publicly. Um, in the midst of this story beforehand, Zechariah is told, you're going to call him John. And so they get to the, this big uh, house party. Everybody's there. Um, and it's about time for him to be circumcised and they ask Elizabeth what should we what are we going to call him she says we're going to call him John well why would you call him John there's nobody in your family named that and the tradition is to name him after the father or at least name him after someone in your family in my case my first name Wesley comes from my grandfather's middle name my middle name Thomas comes from my other grandfather's first name uh, And we do those kinds of things. But she says, no, his name's going to be John. And then for the first time in nine months, the extraordinary happens. Zechariah speaks. He's written down for himself, his name will be John. As if to say, as in a matter of faith, I believe what the angel told me. We have a baby, his name's going to be John. And he begins to speak. Now, I told you about my conversations or some of the things that were happening when Melody was born. Okay, so the first two legendary Pokemon. Exactly. Um, And I imagine it's pretty much the same. Everybody comes in, oh, what a beautiful baby. Thank you. I had a lot of work to do in that. Um, No, but there's this conversation. Oh, how great. You know, When Rain was born four months ago, um, everybody came in talking about the baby and having that. But... Can you imagine if you were there and you're talking with Burgundy and all of a sudden Marcus starts talking about another kid? Yeah, she's all right. But there's this, there's this other kid and he's pretty cool. That would sound a little odd to us. I think that would sound a little strange where we would look around and we would go, hey, talk about your own kid. We wouldn't expect a dad who, who is holding an eight-day-old baby to start talking about someone else. But that's exactly <coughs> what happens. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 1, verse 67, and let's see what he says. If you have the black hardbacks, it is page 856. Uh, If it's on your phones, it's screen 21,641. Luke chapter 1, verse 67 because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So he begins and he starts talking about God. He hasn't said anything for nine months, and the first words out of his mouth are, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And he begins talking about prophecy, and he begins talking about things that have been fulfilled. I think there are three things that we can get from Zechariah's song. I think there's one application for us, and I think there's something that we must continue to do as we look at this Advent season. The first thing I think we have to get from this is that God is faithful, that God is faithful. In the midst of understanding his faithfulness, we see Zechariah recount some of the things that God has done. He goes all the way back to the beginning, to the start of the Hebrew nation with Abraham, and he begins recounting God's promises. And He doesn't go into a long diatribe of all of it. He's simply thinking back, God promised this. And time passed before it happened. God promised this, and time passed before it happened. God promised this, and time passed before it happened. And just the same way God promised that we would have this forerunner, uh, this Elijah forerunner, He's promised it and it's happened. And so I think the first thing that we as Christians can take from Zechariah's song is the fact that God is faithful. That God keeps His promises. Think the second thing we can take is that God is powerful. As we begin seeing the verse we're talking about in verse 68, and he's raised up a horn of salvation for us um, in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. That God is powerful to save. that God in this horn of salvation is this militaristic information. What he's saying is God is powerful to fight for us to defeat our enemies for us. And we could put physical enemies in there. We could put that he's defeating the enemy of death. The idea is still the same, that God is powerful to deliver us from our enemies. God is powerful to bring about salvation in such a way that it is no weak act. And so we can see that God is faithful. We can see that God is, is powerful. And we can see that God, in his faithfulness, keeps his promises, as he again recounts uh, the oaths and the covenants and all the things that come into this, we see him giving us himself. But there's another piece to this that as we take that, that could be a great demonstration that has no real application to my life. There aren't any things that I can necessarily do with that, just knowing that he is faithful and that he is powerful and that he keeps his promises until we look at this next step where it says for us in verse 74, verse 74, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That if God really is faithful and he really is powerful and he really does keep his word, that in us ought to bring about some response. That in us ought to bring about some action, some serving, some life that looks different that we can serve him without fear. And God uh, calls us whether we are four years old, 40 years old, or 400 years old, nobody's that old, but uh, God is faithful. And we can live with him and and serve with him faithfully without fear. And as I think through that, I think about how God has, has led me over the years. I think about the times where I know that he has been present And I think through these ideas that he wants me to follow him in holiness and righteousness. For each of us, as we see the God who is present in all of this, we can indeed serve him with holiness and faithfulness that he brings about, with righteousness that he brings about in us. But how does it look to serve him without fear? Some of you have heard me say there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit, which is why I firmly agree (coughs) or affirm Ryan as he's preaching at 18 years old. That those who have Christ, there's no no junior Holy Spirit that once you get to be older, that kind of warms up, and then all of a sudden you're able to serve God. But I also don't think that there's a senior Holy Spirit either. What I mean by that is that we don't get to a point where we've paid our dues, we've put in our service, and then God's done with us. That He leads us, again, even into retirement and even beyond that, to continue serving Him. And sometimes that can be scary. I think about in my own life, I had a conversation with Chris uh, several weeks ago, and in this conversation we were just talking about some things, and the first thing he said to me was stop trying to be Superman, which in my life is not harsh, except that I really do try, not flying, but I do try to do far more than I'm able to do, and so in in love, uh, he said stop trying to be Superman. And I didn't take offense for the first time in a long time uh, at that remark, because I knew that God was speaking through Chris. And then we began to have a conversation about some things that, that I'd been praying about, some things that I was just seeking God in, and Chris just began to say things that were on his heart. And as we continued to talk, this conversation went from step to step to step, and I just thought, wow, God is, God is revealing himself to me in something that, that I'm a little fearful about. Chris left, went back to his classroom, I opened my scripture, I was going to read for just a little while, and I went to one of my favorite psalms. And as I'm reading this psalm, God just systematically, verse by verse, answered everything that Chris had said. Every statement he had made, God backed up with scripture. Everything that I was concerned about, everything I was thinking about, everything I was praying about, boom, 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 boom. Almost as if in the midst of that, God was saying, hey... I'm still here and I'm still listening and I'm calling you to serve me. And I think that though that sounds unusual or maybe that sounds rare for some, I think that's still how God moves. In fact, I know that's still how God moves. And it doesn't have to be that he calls you to service and all of a sudden you're standing in a pulpit. In fact, more often I don't think that's how he calls us. I think he calls us to be Christians right where we are and to be the best Uh, at whatever we're doing and serve Christ. Whether that's in the business world, whether that's in the education world, whether that's in retirement, that whatever we're doing, that we are doing the best that we can do at that task as we seek to serve Christ. One of the best math teachers I've ever known lived his faith and taught math. And it wasn't that he had to sprinkle Jesus into his math lessons. It was that he lived his faith so in front of everybody that as he taught math with excellence, his faith couldn't help but come up. And I began to understand and I continue to understand that God, when he calls us, calls us to serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness. But why would I even bother? If he's not faithful, if he's not powerful, and if he doesn't keep his promises. And I would say, I have every reason to bother. Because he is so faithful, even though sometimes his timing doesn't look like my timing. Most of us, if we'll be honest, start tapping our foot when the microwave popcorn isn't done yet. Three and a half minutes is just too long to have popcorn, Unless you're used to doing the whole skillet <laughs> thing, and some of you're like, "Whippersnapper," yeah, I get it. But we start doing this. Three minutes have passed. We still got 30 seconds, but it's not done. And you know, you know, you're going to get shortchanged if you don't if you wait that 30 seconds. But we we get so impatient. God's voice has been silent for 400 years up to this point. And maybe we can identify with the people of Israel and say, you know, um, 400 years is a long time to wait. In fact, I'm, I'm almost sure you don't speak to me anymore. It's been a long time since I've heard your voice. Where did Zechariah and Elizabeth hear it? As they were faithfully doing what they were called to do. As they were faithfully going day by day in the ins and outs, and the mundane and the mighty, they then experienced God. As they served him faithfully, it was in that that they experienced him. It wasn't a mountaintop experience. It wasn't a, a huge adventure. Just day to day. And they started parenthood, which is an adventure in and of itself. And we don't have anything else that happens from that. We don't know. We don't, <coughs> don't know if Uriah was a good dad. We don't know if Elizabeth was a good mom. We know that um, John the Baptist had an interesting taste in fashion. Camel skin and his diet was locusts and wild honey. Uh, That was later, but we don't know anything else about him. We have to assume by his, his faithfulness that his parents were also faithful. We don't know if they ever heard from God's voice again. But what we do know is that John the Baptist was a result of their righteousness. Here's another thing that comes in. God begins to speak through Zechariah about the future. And he says to John, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. He says, in effect, to John at eight days old, I affirm what God is doing in your life. Parents and grandparents, please hear this. You have the distinct blessing of being a voice of God in your, in your children's lives where you can speak into their lives, where you see God may be leading them and blessing them and encouraging them. And if this is where God is leading them, you can also help them to avoid the things that are not getting them there. You can be that voice. You can be that blessing. You can be the person who is Zechariah to John. You could be that parent to your children or grandchildren. I see that God could be doing this in your life. If this is sin, you got to get away from it. This is going to destroy you and keep you from reaching Christ's likeness in your life. Or you're following this, but this isn't a bad thing, but it's not getting you to that. So consider either how this fits into this calling or consider maybe putting that aside so that you can follow Christ more fully. Zechariah begins to speak of a future of the Lord being prepared for through John. He's going to have a message. John's message is going to look like this. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Wait a minute. If we look at Jesus' first message, Jesus' first sermon, Jesus' first walking around preaching, he starts saying something very similar. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Only his has a little bit of a twist on it. He's the entrance of that kingdom. And so he takes on John's message. But in the midst of that, there's this other thing. How do we live without fear and holy and righteously? We don't just anticipate a baby in a manger. Because he's made some other promises that haven't been kept yet. He's made other promises that for us give us hope and joy and peace. And those promises look like this. I came and I'm coming again. You don't know when that'll be. But when I come, everything will be restored. Everything will be as it's supposed to be. As you look to this day, we have hope. But as we look to that day, we also have hope. Hope of a resurrection. Hope of everything set new. Hope of everything set right for those who are citizens of God's kingdom. And so we live without fear and holy and righteously with this hope that someday, one day, Christ will return. It's the only promise he hasn't kept yet. Well, it's a bigger statement than it needs to be. But that's one of the only promises that we haven't seen kept yet. Everything else he said, even though it took 400 years in some cases, has happened. Why do we come to Advent? Why do we celebrate Christmas? We've heard it said even in prayer today that it's not about the receiving of things. It's about giving. It's about living in such a way that we give our lives. It's about... Realizing that as Christians, Christ has been given. And it's not about us walking through uh, just sitting on the fact that we've received that gift. It's about this promise. And then we give that as we talk to others. We live in a world that needs the message of the kingdom. We live in a world that unfortunately gets all bent out of shape about the color of a Starbucks cup. How foolish. It's not about a Starbucks cup. It's not about whether or not I say Merry Christmas at Target and they look at me and say other things. That's where our Christianity stops. We've completely missed the point. What needs to be happening is those who are believers living their lives in such a way, though imperfectly, that we say, Here, I serve a Savior who was promised long ago, who came and lived a perfect life, who, though we could talk about the death and resurrection today, um, also promises us a future resurrection. And I live in a hope and a joy that started in a manger but continues today because he is alive and well today. So how do we live like that? We place our faith in the God who is faithful, who is strong, and who keeps his word And then the takeaway for us is if he's faithful, I'm not really that good at messing up something God has put together. And so we walk in our imperfection, we walk in our faithfulness, and we say, I serve a God who loves dearly and is fixing me and changing me and creating in me a clean heart. And I see that you're struggling. And I don't want to judge. I just want to simply walk alongside you and offer hope and offer joy and (coughs) offer peace that can only truly be found in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be perfect. But our challenge today is to live without fear. To live without fear. That doesn't mean that we step out into traffic. Take on a truck say, I am living without fear. No. But what it does mean is that we have relationships that God has placed us in, that we live without fear, and we speak our faith. Even if they look around and say, But don't you also? Yes, sometimes I also do that. Or I've said these things, or I'm I'm imperfect I'm imperfect and I make bad mistakes. But Christ has perfected me. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for hope, for joy, for peace that are far more than we can ever really understand. And as we come to this Advent season, as we come to Christmas, Father, I pray that you would remind us of the hope that we have in you pray that you would remind us of how to live in front of people a life that is set free. I pray also that you would help us to understand that you do, in fact, keep your promises. Help us to lean into that today. And then help us to share that with people who need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we move to this time uh, in our service, we practice this open communion, which means all are welcome. You don't have to be a member. You don't have to uh, present any uh, identification or credit cards, though that'd be no, I'm kidding. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to to celebrate at Christ's table together. This is an opportunity for us to be reminded of what He's done for us. And so, as we come to the table today, I invite all who want to celebrate with us uh, to come. As we come to the table, we give thanks to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We give thanks for his many blessings. We give thanks for the salvation that he offers us. We give thanks for the new covenant that he has established with us. As we receive this, we are reminded of his death for us and the life that we now live for him. We pray for us. Father, we're so grateful for your faithfulness, for your gift of Jesus. And we pray as we take this communion that you will make us ever mindful of his Wonderful life and great sacrifice for us, in Jesus. Name. On the night that He celebrated His Passover, Jesus took the bread and He broke it, and He said, "This is My body broken for you." Likewise, He took the cup and He said, "This is the, the cup, the, the new covenant of My blood that is shed for you." As often as you take of this bread and drink of this cup, you do this in remembrance of Me. he's coming